Welcome everyone to episode 33 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Burnick and I've got two special guests with me this week. Once again, Ben Vernon is going to be joining me and also his former clinician, Dr. Mark Foreman, who's also a retired police officer for San Diego. So this is going to be kind of part two of our series with Ben. Now last week we talked about the incident with Ben, his physical injuries, his mental injuries, and on this episode, we're going to pick up where Dr. Foreman first met Ben and uh, all the different treatments, including EMDR, that uh, Dr. Foreman did with Ben to get Ben to the point where he can go back to work, to, even to get him to the point where he can talk on this podcast about this, where he can talk in front of people just on a national level. So uh, the two get along great. They're actually working on a, a book together now. And, uh, I think it's probably time just to tag them in. So without further ado, Ben Vernon and Dr. Mark Foreman. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I've got two guests with me this week. Yes, we're doing another threesome. Get your mind out of the gutters, listeners. I've got Ben Vernon again. He was our, our guest last week, and he's bringing along his clinician, Mark Foreman. So, first of all, both you guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Glad, I'm glad to have you. You could be outside in lovely San Diego weather. Instead, you're talking to me. Well, we're in the midst well, of social distancing, and I'm not doing much. So. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Ben, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to get to Mark, I promise. But I, I had some questions that came to mind since the last time. I spoke to you and, and these questions, you know, I, I've read your article. I've, I've seen you speak in Ohio and in, in front of a couple hundred people. And then I had the pleasure of having you on last week and we, uh, got to grill you for like an hour and a half plus. So, but I had these two questions that came to mind and I was, I was just curious. So the first question was, it was actually regarding Alex, but not in a, a way where we keep poking at him. Cause that was, <laughs> right, right. that was fun at the end, but you know, Alex got stabbed too. I mean, he's he's in the same boat as you. Did he have any type of um, mental issues or anything like like what was his way of getting back to work? Did he have anything similar to you? Yeah, he did. Uh, he disclosed to me that he was having horrific nightmares as well. They were a different type. You know, mine was fighting. Uh, the guy that stabbed me, I would fight him in my dreams and I would murder him and I would rip him apart. Alex uh, told me that his dreams consisted of he was at home with his uh, brand new wife. They were newlyweds and Stabby was coming through the front gate to his house and he was trying to keep the gate closed. And as he tried to close the gate, Stabby got part of his body through the gate and was, was forcing his way into his yard. And so Alex was screaming at his wife, you know, get in the house, get in the house. And she gets in the house. He lets the gate go and runs into his front door. As he tries to close the front door, Stabby comes partially through the front door. So he can't close the door. And so he's screaming for his wife to get in the bathroom. And so she gets in the bathroom and then he lets the front door go and he runs to the bathroom. And as he tries to close the bathroom door, Stabby's coming through the bathroom. So his, his world was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and, and it, the guy just kept coming, um, and he would wake up screaming, um, 
in his sleep. So he had many of the same issues I had. Now, where we really separated is I found Dr. Foreman and I got really good help um, after, of course, I had gone to see the workers' comp psychologist. So the workers' comp guy wasn't very helpful. He told me if I was having nightmares just to lay off the caffeine. Alex tried to go through our, um, our EAP. And so he met with an EAP clinician and he was explaining his nightmares and showing her the video. Uh, and she also said if she was having trouble sleeping, the best thing to do is lay off the caffeine. So Alex and I have a running joke between the two of us that if we don't know the answer to something, we just tell each other, hey, stop drinking coffee. So that was our, our running joke. Now, I got help with, with Dr. Foreman and Alex didn't. And I was, Alex is doing okay. But I would argue he's not doing as well as I am. He's, he's become much quieter, much more reserved. He moved to a much slower fire station, and he just kind of has disengaged a little bit. Um, and so, I, you know, I love the guy to death, and I keep telling him he needs to try this, this therapy that Dr. Foreman introduced me to, EMDR. Uh, he's more reluctant, but he's, he's doing okay. Uh, and then the person who didn't ask was about my captain, and if you want to talk about mental health and how important it is, my captain did not get any help. Um, he was often blamed for the incident because he pushed the guy over, uh, which started the fight. Uh, you know, even guys on our own job blame him for getting his guys stabbed. Um, he started drinking a lot more. And about a year and a half ago, he got in a domestic dispute with his girlfriend and he assaulted her um pd showed up arrested him he was charged with a felony assault and so last summer i was in court again trying to testify on my captain's behalf to explain to the judge you know where all this was coming from uh, the judge was nice he nodded but then he charged my captain with a felony so my cap my captain is Luckily, you know, he didn't have to go to prison, but he wears an ankle bracelet and he's on parole now for five years or probation, I guess, for five years, uh, lost his job. I, I mean, and what's crazy is Alex and myself and my captain were all three feet apart when this incident happened. I, I got really good help and I get to travel the country and share. I get to do podcasts. I get to, you know, write books and, and do podcasts. Alex is very quiet, stays fairly reserved and, and has kind of disappeared. And then my, my captain is now a, a convicted felon. So same incident, three completely different outcomes. That's, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, that's, wow. You know, and it goes to show you, I mean, it's right. important, I right. guess, to right. where you, you know, to get help, but also right. the proper help, you know? So, right. I think you got right. fortunate, um, it, for sure. So, and, and you mentioned in there a trial. And I wanted to ask you actually about you going and attending Stabby's trial. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, just seeing him live in person after all this, how, how was that? I mean, that had to bring all these emotions that you probably got over now all of a sudden are thrown back in your face. Yeah, I mean, I was actually still seeing Dr. Foreman, uh, still getting 
care because I was worried about the trial. And uh, I'll tell you, the trial, it wasn't seeing Stabby again. It was testifying and then the defense attorney coming after me and my team, you know, trying to blame my captain, uh, trying to blame me and, and trying to trip me up. And so for that, I think I was in the, in the booth, you know, in the um, witness chair for probably a couple hours, um, just trying to not concentrating so hard on what the defense attorney was saying <clears throat> and not letting him trip me up or get me to admit to something I didn't do. Um, that was the most exhausting thing I've ever been through, you know, being in a trial with court. And then there were, there were news cameras, you know, there was a whole, there were probably 10 news cameras there. Um, the courthouse was full, you know, most court rooms, you know, there's no one there, but this was a high public case. So it was a packed courthouse. Um, and the defense attorney was, was coming after me hard. Uh, that was just exhausting. So when that was over, I, I remember feeling like I'd run a marathon. You know, my body was just fatigued and I went home and slept for like three days. I was just so tired. Uh, so that was, that was unique. And, you know, Dr. Foreman will talk, he was a cop. And so being in court is a normal thing for him. For first response, for firefighter, that is not what we do. And that was not fun. Just that whole thing was not fun. So, okay. Dr. Foreman, I'd like to turn it to you now. Um, <clears throat> served with uh, San Diego Police Department for how many years? 28. I came on in uh, July of 1979. Okay. Very nice. I was uh, I was like a month old. So. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You had a little head start for me. Um, now, when did you realize that you wanted to get in this clinician field? <laughs> like you, Actually, you know, you just finished one career. Yeah. Ah, let's start another one. Well, it's there's more to it than that. Uh, I set the intention to be a psychologist in 1975 in high school. Uh, if you were to look at my high school yearbook under my picture, it, you know how they'll put we put things under our senior picture, and it's to be a psychologist. So I started on that path. I got an associate degree in psychology. Uh, transferred over from a community junior college over to uh, UCSD and within a quarter uh, managed to find myself on academic probation. Uh, it was like going from, I don't know what it was like, going from junior high and to being a senior in high school or something. It, it was hard. It knocked me on my butt. So I, I quit college, dropped out early on, uh, was managing a liquor store, uh, most money I'd ever made in my life. But and then uh, that's how I found the police department is the San Diego PD was hiring 300 brand new officers. Uh, they had a high attrition rate. People pay wasn't great. People were, the department was going on strike. There's all sorts of chaos going on in the department. So they were hiring 300 new people. That's a lot because uh, they were losing 35, 40 a month. So to fill in the, for the attrition and grow the department, uh, they, they had to hire a bunch of people. So, Got my foot in the door and ended up staying for 28 years. So when I retired, got asked a question by the chief when he was giving me my retirement stuff. He goes, what do you plan to do? I go, I'm going back to graduate school. <laughs> uh, so it was like, let's just pick up where I left off. So it took me 40 years from the time I set the intention until I got the doctorate. 
Nice. Very good. So I'm a slow learner. No. And well, it gives me, <laughs> it gives me hope actually, really. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're at work, I imagine. And you get this call from Ben. How, how does it, I mean, do you remember that actual call? I mean, how, how did that go? I do remember it. Um, cause calls like that don't come in very often. Uh, he was telling me briefly what was going on, how he had tried to get something from somewhere else and it just wasn't working. And there wasn't even a lot of thinking on my side involved. And I said, well, just get in here and we'll start. We'll worry about, because at that time, uh, San Diego Fire wasn't on the contract with the uh, group that I was working with, Focus Psychological Services. Uh, San Diego PD had been for 25 years, but uh, San Diego Fire hadn't been, so they weren't covered. Uh, and he was going to be left to his own devices of either using insurance or EAP or some other workers' comp if he wanted to go that route. Uh, we didn't even discuss that. I just said, well, get in on it, get on, get in here, and we'll figure it out. And because it seemed like it was the right thing to do. Because what he was describing was not a lot different than when cops get hurt on duty, when they're attacked and shot at and stabbed and beat up and stuff. And that happens, I won't say all the time, but it happens pretty regularly around the country. Could, could so, you kind of sense the desperation in his voice? Um, I, I didn't sense it as desperation. I sensed it as pain. Uh, somebody needing to heal and uh, not being able to find the right thing. Now, I don't know that I was the right guy or not. I'm the guy that answered the phone. Uh, <laughs> you know, the universe acts in odd ways. But being able to say, well, yeah, come on in. Because uh, when the people were out there helping turn on us, and it doesn't matter whether it's firefighters or cops, it's not right. It hits us in a way that it knocks us off, knocks our world upside down. And so at, at that point, it's like, well, let's just do this and we'll figure it out. And then from that point, Ben, uh, from his hospital bed, from what I understand, got the ball rolling to have San Diego Fire come onto the contract. Nice. Now, when you when you what was your first impression when you actually met Ben when he actually came in to your office? <laughs> Damn! <laughs> oh, that was devastatingly good looking. <laughs> no, the damn was for the story. <laughs> oh, oh okay. I was thinking it was your looks too. So, <laughs> yeah, um, as as he came in and he, he rolled the story out, I go. Damn. Uh, yeah, that's... Did he, did he show you the video, or were you already aware of it? No, I, I, I don't watch the news a lot, so uh, I wasn't aware of it. Uh, he didn't show me the video right away. In fact, I didn't want to see it. <laughs> uh, he kind of forced it to me, then being accepting of my client, wherever the client said, oh, okay, well... Uh, and actually, he didn't have it the first time in, I don't think. Uh because it, it took a while for all that stuff to roll out. Uh, but just hearing the story, uh, it's outside the norm of not only what firefighters experience, but most public safety people don't 
have that type of a an, an assault and an attack. Uh, so that's where we start is from that is that we're just going to start there. Okay. Now, Ben, what was kind of your first impressions of when you got through the phone call, you, you said, yeah, let's meet. How did that first meeting go in your, in your viewpoint? Yeah. So we, uh, Mark and I laughed cause we have very different, uh, memories of how that first meeting went. Um, I was pretty desperate at that point, uh, and I'd already had an interaction with one therapist that was not positive. So I came into his office, and I was desperate, and I was really just praying that this was going to work. And so when I met him, the first thing he, he said is, well, you know, I used to be a cop. And I thought, yes, like that's awesome, right? Because then I can talk to him. I'm not going to spend my entire session explaining the first responder world like I was with the other guy. And I, I'll never forget this. You know, he said, Hey, you know, what's going on? I said, well, I'm having these horrific, or, you know, he said, what's going on? I said, well, I got stabbed at work. I was almost murdered. And then he asked me, how are your nightmares? And I remember thinking, Oh yes. Like, Oh, Holy crap. I mean, you're, he's asking you that like right off the bat, like right off the bat, and I like a minute into it, he's asking you that. Yes, yes, and and I remember thinking that was like my number one problem with the other therapist. You know, I'm going having these horrific nightmares. I can't sleep, and so for him to ask me without me having to explain, I remember thinking just in the first minute, uh, I found the right guy. Like this guy is gonna, he's gonna help me, and just the sense of relief and the the weight off my shoulders of like, okay. And, and I still don't know what's going to happen in my career. I don't know if I'm ever going to get back to work again, but I know right away, like I found the right guy. I'm going to get help. And so I'm going to survive this. Cause you know, remember from last week, I was at the point where I, you know, suicide was actually on the table, right? That was actually a thing that I was considering. So as soon as he said, Hey man, how are your nightmares? I remember thinking, okay, like, I'm going to get help. So at least I know the suicide's off the table and I'm going to be healthy again. Right. So that was an amazing experience that one that I hope any first responder gets to experience if they're struggling, finding the right person, just that is a, is a huge relief. Nice. So after you asked him about the nightmares, I mean, where did you end up going with uh, from there in that in that first initial session. Oh, well, I, you know, it, it's funny that Ben and I we do laugh once in a while on how we do remember it differently. It's like for me, uh, this was a intense trauma case walking through the door, and it's mixed in with all the other ones, so they blur for me. I don't have that clear of a recollection. But when it's your own trauma, every word is going to probably yeah. stick and, and hang. So for me, that's a why wouldn't I ask about the nightmares? I'm, I treat trauma. This is what I do. It's a specialty. It's like, yeah, nightmares and some other things like sleep and eating and drinking and, you know, all the things that we hear about that when we're experiencing adverse experiences to uh, extreme events trauma uh so it, for me it's a natural question to ask but then i'm dumbfounded when i hear how often it's not asked and it's a lot 
Uh, I've gone to conferences. I've heard other first responders, cops and firefighters describe almost verbatim Ben's story from a totally different incident, totally different therapist, totally different parts of the country. And what I've learned is a lot of people that are doing the mental health treatment aren't specifically trained in treating trauma. That's a specialty. So with that, they may not know to ask. They may say, well, cut the caffeine. Well, of course, cut the caffeine. Uh, ben said he's going to be late this morning because he's going to get some coffee. Well, I had my coffee this morning, and caffeine's the number one <laughs> psychoactive medication around the world. And it's something that we all use. And if we stop it, we sleep better. We know that. The thing is, is the work doesn't allow us to stop the caffeine. Uh, that's, I will tell people, yes, cut back on the caffeine, but I also know that you're going to go back to work and work a 24 hour shift and that dog ain't going to hunt. <laughs> so I'll offer it. I go, it's here, but oh, by the way, yeah. How are the nightmares? Let's do something with the nightmares. Let's talk about them. Let's process them. Let's start to turn toward them because the nightmares have something to tell you. And that's really what all of our upset is, is when we do start to, well, now that I mentioned it, uh, one of the treatment modalities that I am I was using was EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, long name for complex modality. In essence, it's turning toward the memory, allowing it to show up and processing it. And when we do that, whether it's a, the memory could be a nightmare, it could be the actual event or it could be something else throughout lifetime. It does not matter what the memory is. When we turn toward it, the body will send us a current moment sensation and a current e emotion with it. And that's where the processing happens. So we can do that with nightmares on our own. Just keep it a log. Oh, I woke up from a nightmare. That was scary. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I'm sweating. It's like, well, and you start writing it down. What emotion was, oh, I was angry. I was enraged. I was... Yeah, okay, well, and every time we do that, the body and the mind start to come back together in the same same spot. Now, I know that ultimately that's that's what you did with Ben, and he loves you for it because <laughs> it's, it's truly helped him move on. But I, I've got to know, like, because, uh, Ben, I think you're a lot like me. We're, we're you know, we're both good-looking. Um, right, right. <laughs> great, great sense of humors. Um uh, when you know what are you thinking when he when he starts talking to you about this stuff like you know hey you got nightmares all right we're going to those are going to go away and we're going to we're going to help get rid of them even quicker you know this is what i want you to do and he starts telling you all this stuff what are you what are you because you look you're already like this guy you already feel like he gets you but then yeah. he's he's throwing out this crazy stuff what what are you thinking yeah, so I, I mean, while I, I trusted the guy right away and was willing to do what he wanted, when he starts talking about EMDR, you know, my first thought is, this is some weird voodoo stuff, and, and my first thought is, oh, this is hypnotism. He's going to try and hypnotize me, and I just picture, I mean, the only hypnotism examples I have are, you know, like you go to a show, and the guy brings 50 people on stage and hypnotizes them, and then while he's doing his act, you know, people are standing up in the audience and crowing like a rooster and just doing weird shit. And so I, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to be hypnotized. I don't like this. This is weird. Uh, 
but I, you know, because I was I was desperate, which probably helps. Um, I was willing to to give it a try because at this point I was I just wanted help. Um, so he mentioned EMDR. I had never heard of it. Didn't know what he was talking about. And then he says, you know, just follow my fingers back and forth in front of your eyes. You know, sit quietly. And I'm like, oh hell no, like this isn't. You know, so I was a little reluctant at first, but. Um, and then, honestly, when we did the first session, I left his office. I felt better, and I I just remember thinking, what the hell did he do to me? Like that was weird, and why do I feel better? And so, you know, I I came back to his office, and he's like, hey, let's do EMDR again. And this time, I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, you know, yeah, it worked last time. I felt a little better. Let's do it again. And each time I would leave his office, I felt better and better and better. And after a while, I'm like, I don't know what this is, but this is the greatest invention since sliced bread. Um, more first responders need to know about this therapy modality. Uh, now, Dr. Foreman gives me a hard time. He says I oversell it. Uh, but I, I think it is truly the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the fact that I travel the country and I talk to first responders all over the country and no one seems to have heard of this therapy it drives me crazy. It it drives me nuts that the word isn't out. Nice. Now, Doc, could you kind of go into a little bit more details about the process, like what you're actually doing with the EMDR? Yeah, so Ben just doesn't remember that he's been on stage acting like a rooster, but <laughs> I programmed him so he... <laughs> I knew it. I knew a naked it. rooster. <laughs> no, not really. It, it truly is not him that is a... But <laughs> that's one of the first hurdles that uh, EMDR therapists frequently will start to explain to their clients is that this isn't hypnotism. What it is, is it's holding in current awareness, a memory, anything that didn't happen, that's happened in the past that isn't right now. And it could have been a minute ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. We bring that into awareness and then with a current thought, a current memory, and a current body sensation. Sorry, a current emotion and current body sensation. When those four things are brought together, the memory and then the current experience, while we're paying attention to something, like moving fingers, or the vibration that might come up through some paddles that we'll use, or a light bar, there's a lot of different stimulus that we can use in it. The mind and the body and the the spirits start to process it all at once and it's fully inter interactive uh it's a little easier for me to explain it to firefighters than it is to cops because most firefighters have a little bit of a medical background even if it's advanced first aid or medics or paramedics or it's the bilateralization that happens inside the body if you stimulate the right side of the body it's mapping to the left side of the brain and vice versa once we start to describe that is, well, what we're doing is we're bringing together a thought, an emotion, and a body sensation. That's three different processing processes within the, the mind with a memory. There's a fourth one. And then you stimulate it. It's called bilateral stimulation, left, right, left, right. And it's a fully integrative approach. Uh, the, the entire nervous system is engaged. The entire psyche is engaged with processing one memory. And so there's a lot to it. It's complex. There's a, more and more research coming out on it every day. And 
then it's uh, informed by a, uh, not to go too theoretical, but I will a little bit. It's called adaptive information processing, AIP. It means whatever the fuck happened to us when we were kids might be informing what's going on right now. So people come in and say, I don't want to talk about my childhood, Doc. I go, that's fine. Let's talk about this memory, and then we'll start working on it. And then they'll go, well, that was, well, that was just like when I was 12 years old or I was 10 years old, this thing. All right, let's process that too. And it allows the whole person to sit with what's here now. Yeah, so. So, so now. I like to describe it. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. The way I like to describe it is he, you know, let's say the left side of your brain is logic and the right side is emotion. And I'm totally oversimplifying doctors, you know, Dr. Foreman's PhD. But the way he described it to me is if the left side is logic and the right side is emotion, when you talk about a memory and then you follow your fingers back and forth, right side, left side, right side, left side, you're activating logic and emotion, logic and emotion. And one of the biggest things about my stabbing is anger and guilt over not doing more, getting my partner hurt, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, not being, you know, being complacent. I, I just had a lot of guilt and anger. And so as I was thinking about these calls, you know, one of the things I remember thinking is being angry that I didn't have my trauma bag with me. I didn't bring the trauma bag. And then as I'm sitting quietly and I'm watching, following his fingers back and forth, you know, the anger of not being prepared bubbles up inside. But then I remember logically thinking, yeah, but we don't bring a trauma bag to a patient who's walking and talking and standing and is drunk is not, he's not a trauma patient. So not only did I not violate policy, but I didn't, I did the right thing. I didn't bring a trauma bag to a patient that wasn't a trauma patient. And so I remember just that anger dissipated a little bit because I wasn't as mad at myself for not bringing the trauma bag. And so we do this back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, as I was describing last week, just all of the emotion that went with leaving Alex behind and, you know, not protecting him and, you know, not bringing the right equipment with Foreman following his fingers back and forth. I just kept being able to attach logic to everything of, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't, you know, almost get my partner killed. I, I logically could process all of the anger and emotion. And so each time I left his office, I had less emotion. I felt less angry, less frustrated, less of uh, less guilty, le less of everything. And, and so I would feel a little bit better every time I left his office. And after a while, I'm like, man, this, this treatment is so simple. And the biggest thing is I remember thinking of all the other calls that I'd been on in my career that I had anger or or guilt, you know. Um, I had a little girl who seized to death. She was 12 years old. She was seizing. I could not stop the seizure. I was pushing every medication I could think of. I, I did everything I could to try to stop it, and she kept seizing. And by the time we got out of the hospital, she was, you know, so hypoxic, she was brain dead. And they pronounced this little girl, and I carried that anger and, and guilt for years. And, and I remember thinking, at one point I was going back to Dr. Foreman's office and I came in and I said, Hey man, I don't need to EMDR the stabbing anymore, but while we're here, can I EMDR this little girl that sees to death? Because I'd really like to stop feeling guilty about that. And he was like, yeah, sure. And so th that's where I think this EMDR thing is so amazing because so many medics and EMTs and firefighters 
and police officers at some point in their career, they're carrying these calls that they're, you know, they may not say anything's wrong, but deep down, right. You feel this guilt or anger or frustration and, and you can offload it. You can, you can kind of break it out of your brain and just feel good again, you know, not carry guilt, not carry anger. And so that's why I think this treatment is is made almost specifically for first responders, because I think a lot of us naturally carry <clears throat> anger and frustration from this job on calls. So that's if I could get the word out to, to everyone in the country, you know, find the right therapist and try EMDR, see if it works. I mean, if it doesn't, what do you have to lose? Nothing. But God, if it works for you and you get to offload this career of calls you're carrying in, in your subconscious, man. <clears throat> let it go. So that's, that's how I look at it. Perfect. Now, um, how long after seeing Dr. Foreman was it before you actually went back to work? Uh, I was back to work four months to the day after my injury. So I got hurt June 24th. I went back to work October 24th. Um, now, I kept seeing Foreman for months afterwards because I was still just nervous, but I was also actually having fun in his office and I was EMDRing every possible thing I could f get my hands on. Um, but yeah, he, I, I was struggling a month after my injury. Um, I think it was about six or eight weeks after my injury that I found Dr. Foreman and he had me feeling good enough to go back to work within a couple months. So six to eight weeks after I walked in his office for the very first time, I was walking back into the fire station uh, with my gear. Nice. So if doing the, if I remember the timeline right, they're telling you, <clears throat> and they're not really talking to you about the, the mental side of things, but physically, you were going to be off for about a month. Right. And you, and you ended up being off about an extra three months beyond that just, just to get back mentally where you needed to be to actually go and, and work again. Correct. Correct. Did, did you go back to the same station, same crew? Yes, I did. I, uh, <laughs> yes. AMA. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I distinctly wanted to go back to work. One is I loved my crew. Uh, the four of us were having a great time before my injury. And I remember distinctly thinking, I don't want that guy, Stabby, to dictate my career. And I don't want him, you know, chasing me out of a place that I love to go. Uh, and I really wanted to get back with my crew. And I wanted us all to be whole again. And so I did go back. Um, I can tell you it, it was not the same. It was obviously very different for all of us. Um, everybody was processing that call differently. Um, I lasted a year. I was there for a year after my injury and then realized it was time for me to move on and go do something else. How long when it, when you came back, did it take for you to go back to that trolley? I mean, oh. you said, you said it was like when you went on, you know, uh, was it June 24th? That was your third uh, time there, but you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm yeah. guessing your first day back. You're it's a fire back. service. What do you think the first call was? 
What do you think the very first call was when we were all back together at 8 a.m. in the morning? We have our morning meeting. What do you think the very first call was? Do you, did, you all just, did you all just look at yourself like you we, did. we did? <laughs> we did. We saw the ticker tape. We saw the address come up and we all looked at each other and we just started laughing and we're like, of course, of course. And do you want to know what the, the patient was? A belligerent, angry drunk. It, I mean, you couldn't write this stuff. You can't. You can't write this stuff. It's, it was hilarious. And what was really funny was we all together respond to this drunk, intoxicated guy, and he's being a total jerk. And all of us started laughing because, I mean, this poor guy had no idea who he was talking to. He had no idea his behavior was just the absolute last thing he wanted to do. Um, and so we all kind of laughed and it was actually really decompressing because I think for all of us, that was our number one fear is, you know, what are we going to do if we have to go back to the trolley stop and run on a, a drunk male? And that was the first call that came in. And so we all had to deal with it immediately. And uh, it worked out. We all started laughing. And, you know, this poor drunk guy is trying to be a dick and he just it didn't work. You know, we were just too entertained by the irony of the whole situation to do the, the three foot rule. <laughs> no, we, we just we just transported him. We didn't try to pawn him off on the cops. We just we just took it. We just took that it. Was, Doc, that was my favorite role, and I'm trying to I'm going to try to bring it back to my department. Yeah, the, the three foot game. The three foot game. Yes. If he can walk three feet, he can go to the drunk tank with the cops. Yeah, it's a fun uh -huh. game. <laughs> Nice. Now, yeah. is Doc, is there anything else that you want to uh, kind of talk about as far as Ben's recovery goes and, and getting him back to getting him back to work, but also, you know, sustaining that work, you know, being able to keep him there? I know it's, you know, you don't magically just get better. I'm sure he's, uh, I, I'm assuming that Ben still checks in. All, I mean, obviously, you guys are friends now too, but, you know, he still has those kind of regular checkups just to kind of, you know, preventative maintenance, I imagine, right? Yeah, so <clears throat> one is uh, a therapist anymore. In fact, I'm not doing therapy anymore. Ben and I are just friends, and we're in the midst of writing a book and stuff, and uh, we've had a client-therapist separation now for several years, to, which allows us to have more of a friendship relationship. Uh, but that checking in I just writing a book is for both of us is kind of seems to be kind of cathartic uh, kind of healing for us uh, but a lot of uh, as Ben was describing the the emotions of guilt and anger and some of the other stuff that comes up that is very typical for first responders uh, for public safety to exp uh, that's what fuels why one event turns into a traumatic event sometimes is it's something clicks is I didn't do it right. I left the bag on the truck or on the engine. It's like, well, what, what wasn't right about it? And it's like, and what we start to find out is when we start teasing it out, this is what EMDR is uh, really wonderful at allowing us to do is, oh yeah, this feels familiar. This feels like this other call. This feels like this time in high school or in college or something totally unrelated, might not even be related to the, the event, but something around it. And, and it's somehow it's connected to what 
spins out of when we experience guilt. And guilt is a great a direct shot to us experiencing shame. And shame is a basic human emotion. We all feel it. We all sense it. And we do everything we can to protect it, not to allow it to be seen. And what comes with shame? More thoughts. Remember, this is all thoughts and emotions and connecting it together. It's like the thoughts that we start to generate around our own shame is like, I'm a disappointment. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm weak. I'm a coward. All these things start bubbling up that are irrational. They come up out of the subconscious and the unconscious. And so uh, as any of us, when we have our guilt and our anger, anger is coming in trying to allow us to tend to the guilt and to the shame in a way that usually is not going to be helpful. So that, in essence, is the, the gold nugget that's within any, any of it when we're all processing is when we can tease it out, say, oh, what's this meaning to me? Oh, yeah, that's right. You don't take the bag on a call like this. More thoughts. But the rational thoughts are not the irrational ones that come up out of the subconscious that show up in nightmares and stuff like that. No, that, that makes sense. I know, I mean, I've been in situations before where you just, hindsight, you look back and you, yeah, same exact thing. So, no, and I think that's just natural for what we do. Oh, absolutely. And part of what's right at the core of public safety people that's kind of weird to say it like that. Public safety people. Is, uh, <laughs> um, we have a couple of key traits that are shared. And, and one of those traits is this need to really be good at what we do. I like to refer to it as an unrelenting standard. You don't show up and just okie-dokie it half the time. You show up and usually we're spot on. So when we don't do it the way we think we're supposed to do it, we will kick our own ass. We don't need anybody else to tell us that we fucked up we're quite capable of coming in and saying, I should have taken the bag. And because I didn't, I almost died. So part of us will come in and really start criticizing us when the reality is, is uh, we're all just being human, doing the best we can. And uh, we're just trying to know that we're making a difference in the world because uh, I'm going to guess that even Ohio firefighters show up because you want to make a difference. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to react to that. Of course we do. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course it's at the core. It, it's it's what drives drives us. It's noble. Yeah. Knowing full and well that we're not gonna be able to get off work in the morning and go to In N Out Burger. Even knowing Absol- that, we're still gonna do our job. Absolutely. And that starts to play <laughs> out even now with what's going on in the world and you guys are still out there responding in, into the environment while People like me are socially distancing. I can hang out in my house. You you've, guys are moving. You've trained your whole life for this, haven't you? <laughs> I have. Oh, I got to stay inside. I'm retired. I can't, I can't I've been, talk to anybody. I've been practicing it. <laughs> I've got this. I can, I can handle this. Yes. Yeah, but that moving in, and there's a sacrifice that comes with that. Uh, you know, Ben and Alex get stabbed on a call a sacrifice that they weren't intending to make but uh one of the differences that i'd really like to tease out between firefighters and cops is firefighters will haul ass to get into a burning building and i find that amazing it's like no i'm hauling ass to get out of one but the thing is is when i was a cop and there were shots fired calls i would be going getting there as fast as i could 
So it's the same thing. There's a sacrifice that comes with that. And now, you know, with what's going on with a virus, it's an unseen threat. First responders, public safety are moving toward those threats now, making a sacrifice of they might catch it, they might carry it home to their families. It's but they got to do it because that noble cause that desire to go out there and rescue and help people and make a difference is so strong. It's a scary thing. I know the the conversations I've had to have with my wife and I've got yeah. two little boys and it's, uh, you know, I know I'm putting myself out there. Um, and Ben's putting and everybody else in this country and really throughout the world. Um, but, uh, it's, it's just what we do. It's, it's, it's right at the core. It's what you do. So when that gets yeah. challenged, uh, you, you embrace the suck. That's, that's kind of, that <laughs> uh, sucks, but yep. it is what it is. Here I go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when I ask people, why do you do it? They'll, they'll come up with an explanation. And, uh, if you were to describe to your audience why you do it, or if you ask people, why do they do it? What do you get? You know, Doc, I've, I've always said, I mean, throughout the years, you know, because there's good times and bad times on the fire department, just just like, you know, when you're a police officer, there's some times in which, you, you know, they leave you alone at night or you're able to watch a whole movie and, and you kind of can sit back and look at your partner and go, I can't believe they're paying me for this shit. Yeah. And there's other times in which, when you're doing something just entirely fucked up and you just go you look at the same guy and you're like you're not paying me enough for this shit (laughs) exactly it goes both Uh, ways but somehow it probably equals out and they're like all right well your pay's equal (laughs) you gotta have good times and bad times yeah yeah do you guys have uh is there anything else you want to touch on throughout you know your experience of of uh Ben getting back to work and, and, and and now even, uh, even beyond this, I mean, it's not just like he went back to work and, you know, he's just doing his job. He, he's now spreading this word. He's, you know, he has his own mission, um, that's kind of, I've just been put in his lap and he's just running with it. Um, yeah. So it's all the same stuff. Uh, the three of us sitting here on this call, and then uh, I'm going to guess many of your listeners, uh, if they're involved in public safety work or some other of the helping professions, doctors and nurses, and uh, there's all sorts of professions that uh, are the helping professions, but this noble cause, this unrelenting standard that comes with that of wanting to make the world a better place. Is powerful. So, like for instance, when Ben calls and talks to me on the phone, I don't know. It would have been a real easy, very hard boundary. You're not on our contract. Good luck with that, and go somewhere else. But my unrelenting standard, my noble cause, activated, and it activated strong. And it says, "Let's do this." And so here we are. Ben and I have we're writing a book. Well, why are we writing a book? It's for me, it's not about getting my name on the on the cover. And a lot of what we're putting into it is continuing to try to make a more change in the world at a different level. It's all the same stuff. Unrelentingly, we don't stop. Uh, and that's the thing is 
with that then comes self-sacrifice and uh, some other things that wears and tears and and it's fine until it's not <laughs> and it's that point that we don't know when that not point it shows up i've i've had my times uh ben stabbing was maybe a moment for him there may have been others and you may have yours we all have this place where i'm good and i'm not good the tipping point changes for everybody for me i i can't pay anyone back right i can't pay back what i feel i owe to all the people that came to my aid uh alex you know jumping on that knife shooter you know the peer supporter sending me help and then dr foreman agreeing to see me for free i can't pay that back so all i can do is pay it forward um and so the best way to try to show everyone how grateful i am for what they did for me i just try to help somebody else um so that's that's why I'm here. I'm hoping any one of your listeners is struggling with nightmares, thinking about swallowing a bullet, and they listen to this story, and they go, okay, now I know I need to get help, and I know where to start looking. Um, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping this story reaches somebody in trouble, and they decide to get help. And if you get that one person, just even one person, man, it's all it's worth it, it, right? It's yeah. all worth it. It's yeah, all worth absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, because, yes. you know, to to add to that, um, because we never know which person we make the most difference to. Sometimes we have the ability to tell somebody thank you and, and all that. But oftentimes when you think of the people you've rescued and you've saved and they've moved on with their life, you've dropped them off at the hospital or whatever it was, you're off to the next call and you never see them again. They don't have the opportunity to come out and say, hey, thank you, or whatever. But somehow the difference is, is made. But a lot of times, well, what, what I was thinking as we're teasing this out is way back when the 911 system started, we're talking decades ago, you were probably more than a month old. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even going to go there. You might have been two or three, but anyway, uh, one of the local uh, uh, council people here in San Diego, he became famous for saying this. They were debating about, well, what do we do with the false alarms and stuff like this when 911 gets called? And, and he says, well, just send the old fire trucks to the false alarms. How, how do you know they're false? <laughs> I'm just going to just sit with that. Just send the old one, the old fire trucks to the false alarms. <laughs> I was like, send the old firefighters to the false alarms. It's like, it's like you're going to go to all of them. And if somebody come, came into my office and said, hey, doc, I, I go to work and my body's kicking back. I'm not sleeping well. I'm having nightmares and da, 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 da. It'd be easy for me to say, well, don't do that. And I think Ben got that kind of advice once. Well, don't go to those calls. Stop, <laughs> stop the caffeine. Stop the caffeine. The thing is, is it's at our core. We're driven to do it. We're not going to just not go. Yet you walk into the doctor's, a medical doctor's office, say, hey, doc, it hurts when I do this with my shoulder. He or she's going to say, well, don't do that. Stop doing that exercise. Let's do some PT or something, but sometimes just an overuse injury. But rolling on call after call year after year has a, a – takes a toll and a wear and tear 
So if we don't pay attention, it sneaks up on us. Uh, so seeing a therapist once in a while, doing EMDR is one way to approach it, journaling. So there's all sorts of ways that we can make sense of what we carry with us so that we can keep adding more into what we carry. Because we're not going to stop unless we have to or until yeah. we retire. And even when we retire, we don't stop. Yeah, we'll just get a second job, right? Go back to school. <laughs> or a third or become a therapist. Now I do shit for free now, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I, I grilled uh, I grilled Ben on this last week, so it's only fair that I doc that I get to bust your chops a little bit here. Light the fire. Potentially. <laughs> so I've got I've got this list. I've got twenty five questions. I let you choose your own fate. Numbers one through twenty five, and they're all they're all fun. I think they're fun. I don't know, Ben. Do you think they were fun? They were fun. We got to find out that Ben uh, was a carny last week. So that was kind of Oh, cool. wow. And you got to bring that back up this week? That's messed up, man. <laughs> that ain't right. So uh, do you have time to do all 25? No, no, probably not. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so, a whole, whole other episode of just going over them. Remember, I got an un- yeah. unrelenting standard, so I'm going for 25. So go for it. <laughs> You want you want number twenty five? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, yeah, Doc. Pick randomly. Uh, pick a couple numbers from random, and I'll ask you the questions. Okay. Fifteen. All right. <clears throat> what product would you stockpile if you found out they weren't going to sell it anymore? I think I know <laughs> what all three of us just came to mind right now. And you got to remember. <laughs> Remember, I call this show the 25 Live. It's, it's the 25 <laughs> pre-recorded. So we're doing this on what, March 20th. So context is king here. Okay, go ahead, Doc. Yeah. What would you stockpile now? Beer. Good. All right. <laughs> All right. I was thinking you are going to say toilet paper. That was the first stop, but then I got all it. What I've stockpiled is beer, multiple flavors. So. Corona, right? <laughs> That's gone. <laughs> I need more limes. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Pick, pick yet another number. In moderation. I'm not advocating overly drinking. Or... Of course. <laughs> I mean, another. No. It is Good. the end of the world, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> so another number. Uh, let... We'll do in the, these in increments of five. Uh, Number five. What's your favorite quote? Oh, man. I had the same problem, so I'm glad to see. Uh, I picked five, too. I just paused. Um, Between the stimulus and the response lies a space. And in that space, we find freedom to make choice. Good Lord. What? And it's, yeah. and it's attributed to Victor Frankl. <laughs> but in other words, when we take a pause, Ooh. we have a chance to say, do what we want to do, not what we're supposed to do or get off autopilot. So that's all that is. A stimulus, whatever that is. That's, that's, that's very good. I was expecting very last good. week, and, and Ben never gave me an answer, but I... I was thinking that it was going to be something like off of Animal House. 
Or it's talking. Now, now over, my first thought. It's not my first over, thought went. My first thought goes. Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. My first <laughs> thought goes to Jim Bellucci in the cafeteria. He goes, what's this? And he squishes his yeah. cheeks and goes, it's a zit. And he spews potatoes <laughs> all over the place. That's not a quote. No. no. <laughs> How about number 10? All right. Uh, what is your favorite comedian? George Carlin. Oh, that's great. He's awesome. That's a great. One. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great one. I was I was still old enough to where I actually got to see him live. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. He actually, believe it or not, he came to Dayton, Ohio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. Kurt, Kurt, good ones that I I enjoy watching. But George Carlin, he's for me, it's he's the guy. Yeah, he's timeless. You can still listen to his stuff today, and it's like, oh. This is, he was so a, ahead of his time. He has yeah, a great bit on PTSD. Does he really? Yeah. He was the way before his time on. Around, yeah. The one that's floating around the internet now is his whole thing on uh, germs. It, it germs and building up your immune system. And it's pretty funny. So Yeah. Yeah. Again, relevant to right now. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. You know what? I had a, I had a pref- professor. He passed away a couple years ago, but... Uh, he was famous for saying, "There's nothing new, and things just keep coming around." And uh, so we we think we're creative and that we're coming up with a bright new idea and everything. And then somebody goes, "Oh yeah, somebody already did that." But they didn't do it this way. The new mouse, <laughs> new mouse trap. <laughs> let's do uh, Doc. Let's do one more, and I'll get you guys out of here. Number one. All right, Ben did answer this, but I'd be... All right, first job. First job where I had to fill out the tax form or just first job ever? How about both, right? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) First job where I actually filled out the paperwork and uh, started to get on the registries for the IRS uh, was a busboy at a local restaurant called Daisy's kind of related to De- kind of like a Denny's type of restaurant, but Daisy's, I, I hated it. How, how, long, <laughs> how long did you last there? Uh, not long. I, Cause I, I quit and then I got hired back because they needed somebody to clean the tables again. Then that only lasted a couple weeks too, but yeah, it was one of those things. I wanted to go do something and, I was 16 and had to go to work. I think I was 17 and I was at Bob Evans as a bus boy. So I felt your pain there. Yeah. Yeah. Clean up after other people and stuff. What was your first illegal job? You weren't carnies. You weren't carnies. So I hear you complain. No. No. (laughs) Thank God. You even, you even look like a carny, Ben. <laughs> see, this is online, but you can't see the middle finger uh, I'm giving you right uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, what was your first job, Doc? Were you below the below the table, under the table? Mowing lawns. Okay. With a push lawnmower, the, the rotary kind. 
didn't have them. Oh, uh, not gas powered. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't have gas powers when I was a kid. Ben, have you ever seen those? They, I think they're in museums now. Yeah, I've I've heard of them. I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them in books. <laughs> my parents refused. Yeah, exactly. to, my parents refused to buy a powered lawnmower. They, wow. I had to go out and. Then I would reel that down the street, knock on the neighbors' doors, and hey, can I mow your grass? And yeah, and as the blades lost their sharpness, it <laughs> took a lot See, of extra work. You know, in Ohio, you guys don't have to worry about this, but like I did something similar, I guess. But it was for yeah, it would have been for snow. Yeah, shoveling exactly. Snow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I bought all my baseball cards and video games and stuff. Yeah, I didn't share with you that I'm I, I was born in Ohio. Where at what? What? Yeah. Ben says, what? what? <laughs> uh, Eastern Ohio. Uh, my dad's parents were back there in East Palestine. East okay. Palestine, they say that also. Uh, I was born in Youngstown, just a couple miles north of that. And then uh, moved out of their way back when I was just a young kid. and But still have family back there. Well, I commend you for escaping. <laughs> I describe it. Ohio's a good place to be from, but <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not even gonna fight that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna nod my head and go. Yeah. All right. You're right. Yeah, while, you're, while you're shoveling snow, I'm out getting a suntan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. True. All right. Well, where can we? track you guys down not in a stalking manner but if we wanted to you know if we wanted to book ben if we want to know when this book is going to come out stuff like that where where can we reach out to you guys uh you know and on the interwebs at least i don't say uh, uh don't don't friend finder <laughs> right right my tender profile is yeah um <laughs> no so i uh, am at www.benvernon.com and you can uh, book me through my manager uh, to come out and speak. Um, and Facebook is, you know, Ben Vernon, also Ben Vernon Public Speaker is another Facebook page. So that's where you find me on the internet. Doc? Doc? Yeah, so for me, it's uh, at www, that's three W's, uh, maps, M A P S T I dot com. And that stands for Mindful Awareness and Public Safety Training Institute. Uh, got a website. Uh, email there is mark at mapsty.com. And uh, also uh, have an Instagram presence that's at Mindful Public Safety. Nice, nice. Um, now, you guys have a book that you've been working on. Any idea when that's coming out? Best guess? Uh, no, no, best guess. We're hoping six months from now, but uh, we're still. It, it went to the editor, came back with a lot of red ink, so we're fixing the red ink, and then we got to get it back to the editor, and then we got to find a publisher. So yeah, we're looking at maybe six to eight months out. So okay. and, we're, uh, we'll get it. We're getting there. Any idea on the title of it? Yeah, it's <laughs> being unarmed in a knife fight. Uh, first responders guide to mental health. <laughs> Is that's perfect. That's perfect. I thought so. I like it. I like and it. And do you? So. And 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 the last question. I already know the answer, but my listeners don't. So I'm 
I'm kind of being a dick here, but it's fun. Do you do you know what the back cover is is going to look like? Because I I know what I suggested. <laughs> no, but I, I do like the idea of having us recreate the Step Brothers poster and just wearing plaid and looking like total dumb. That'd be absolutely hilarious. Uh, I don't know if that's the what we're going for total comedy, but that'd uh, be awesome. I know it would it would fit you guys. <laughs> well, Ben, ben often Ben often tells the story on he was expecting me to we be wearing elbow patches on a tweed jacket. So yeah, I'm oh, in yeah, a, yeah. I, no, I, I'm getting no, that's that. True. I, Let me ask. No, yeah. That's a good question though. Like, <laughs> so so Ben, you reach out, you call Doctor Foreman on the phone, right. and you talk to him. And and I mean, I do the same stuff. What? What did you picture that he looked like and, and the whole, his office and all that kind of stuff? What was in your head? How did you imagine that? Oh, man. So, yeah, I, you know, the very first therapist I reach out to, I get my appointment set. And, uh, and so then I, I'm going to meet my very first therapist. And, you know, as a first responder, we don't, we don't go to therapy. We don't ask for help. So um, I had never seen a, a real-life therapist before. So I could only picture in my head what one looked like. And obviously all I have is movies, right? So, uh, you know, what's funny is I had two days before my very first therapy session. So I'm just at home watching TV. I'm not sleeping. And I swear to God, every movie I was watching had a therapist in it. So the very first one was there's something about Mary and Ben Stiller is sitting in the therapy chair talking about how he lost, you know, Mary lost his chance. And the guy sneaks out and goes get a sandwich. Um, and I just pictured that, you know, that guy sneaking out while I'm crying. Uh, and then, you know, Batman came on and Scarecrow was the therapist, but he's, he's crazy. And then uh, Silence of the Lambs, there was Hannibal Lecter who ate his patients, right? And so suddenly I'm getting a little nervous about what a therapist is going to look like and what it's going to be like. But the saving grace was I saw um, – um, what's that movie with uh, Robin Williams, uh, Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> and Goodwill Hunting's this, you know, Robin Williams, he's got a beard and he's got a tweed jacket with elbow patches. And, uh, he, you know, he smokes a pipe. And, and so I kind of picture, I, I guess, I picture Robin Williams or, uh, or who's the guy? Uh, uh, Sigmund Freud. Yeah, it's a pipe. Thank you. Yeah. You, can't, you guys can't see it, but, but Doc's got a pipe. Yes, yes. So that's what I picture. I picture a beard. I picture a tweed jacket. I picture a pipe. And uh, so the you very think, first they're gonna, guy. They're going to tell you a great like baseball story, right? Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Um, and so the very first guy I met was actually really, really tiny, um, and I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't expecting it. I mean, this dude was short. You could see his feet and his driver's license picture. I mean, he was tiny, <laughs> and I just. Oh my God, that caught me off guard. And I, I remember being like, I, I mean, this guy bought his clothes at, at the, in the boys department, right? I mean, they were just, he was a tiny little guy. So that was disappointing. He had no beard. He had no tweed jacket. Um, and then, you know, that didn't work out. So I meet Dr. Foreman, my second ever psychologist, and he's clean cut. I mean, he, he looked like a cop. Of course, he was a cop, but he looked like a cop, right? Clean cut, <laughs> square jaw. He, you know, looks like he could punch you in the face. So, again, disappointed. Um, and it's funny, as my circle of friends now, I've met a lot of really good therapists. 
none of them look like Sigmund Freud. No one's got a tweed jacket. No one has a pipe. It's very frustrating, actually. There's, the stereotype is way off. It's way off. So, disappointing. <laughs> That's great. All right, well, I'll get you guys off on that. Um, again, thank you so much, Ben, for sharing your story uh, in Ohio, around the world, twice on my podcast, Dr. Foreman. I appreciate you stopping by today. Uh, for all my listeners out there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating because you can't give us a six. They won't allow you. <laughs> and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, thanks again for listening to The 25 Pre-Recorded. <laughs> all right, take care, guys. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Jim. Bye. <laughs>